The great challenge of the church today isn't secularism, it's cynicism. How do you keep your heart from not being jaded when you feel like you've been betrayed? This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. I don't know what your experience is like around Christmas time, but I particularly do not like preaching at Christmas, and I'll tell you why. It's very difficult to get past people's familiarities, because you've heard most of the story. So you can preach from the Old Testament and the prophets that have come. You say, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Call his name Emmanuel. You can preach from Numbers. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. You can preach from Isaiah 9. Unto us a son is born, is given. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You can tell it from the perspective of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who give birth to John the Baptist, though they'd never had a child. Behold the Lamb of God, he would declare the word of the Lord. You could talk about Simeon and Anna who were there in the temple waiting, and then they were able to go before the Lord because they said, Mine eyes have seen the living God. You can give it from the perspective of Herod, who sits there on his throne threatened because he knows that he's simply a usurper. He's not the true king. You can tell it from the perspective of the wise men and the shepherds. You can talk about Mary being with child, even though she had never been with anyone before, saying, My soul doth magnify the Lord. You can talk about Joseph being a just man, not willing to put her away, receiving a dream and obeying God, even when he didn't know what would take place. You can talk about the flight to Egypt, where the Savior of the world becomes a Palestinian refugee in another world. You can tell it. From the animal's perspective, you can talk about the camels and the donkeys. You can talk about everything there in the manger. But what is difficult is to get beyond what is familiar to us. The difference between wonder and wonder. And there is a difference. Luke chapter 2 and beginning in verse 8. The same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. They were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger." And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that it had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. A lot of times what you are reading in the biblical narratives is snapshots. You are seeing highlights of what takes place. But you're not often seeing what's behind the scenes, what is typically 
the mundane, the everyday reality and struggle of life as it passes on and goes by. And what we can be caught up in, if we're not careful, is to spend most of our lives wandering, searching, rather than seeing the wonder of it all. There's an old song written years ago for this time. It says, I wonder as I wonder out under the sky how Jesus the Savior did come forth to die to save lowly people like you and like I. I wonder as I wonder out under the sky. You remember what it was like when you could first recognize what Christmas was about? I'm not talking about the birth of Christ, but when it finally added up in your head that on Christmas Day you got more than you usually received? And so if you slept in, you woke up early on a given day because you knew there would be presents under the tree. Maybe you drove your parents nuts. Maybe you knew exactly where it was that they had hidden the presents, but you didn't want them to do that. You know that, so you would check it out. Now, you just get on Amazon. They'll even gift wrap the packages for you. They'll put the Grinch on the front of the box if you want them to. It's a familiar story to us. As we get older, we tend to just buy what we want. Rather than seeing that expectation and that anticipation, how do you not lose the wonder of it all? I think there's some challenges for us. Namely, that we live in what is known as the age of distraction. Everybody is busy doing multiple things. How in the world, in a country that moves 24-7, never stops, news cycles that never sleep, how in the middle of all that world can you be still and know that he is God? And listen to the still, small voice of the Lord. We've become sort of immune to the news that we hear. One of our associate pastors growing up in my home church in Bowling Green uh, was a little bit crazy. He He would do things. He was an artist. And so, you know, whatever comes in in the creative side of it, you know how these people are sometimes. Sometimes they've got it together. Sometimes they don't. It's, you know, the world is their canvas. And I can remember going on our junior-senior trip at our Christian school there. We went to to Philadelphia and to Boston. I remember standing in Independence Hall where the Declaration of Independence was signed and where all these constitutional fathers were gathered around, these founding fathers. There's a barrier there if you've been in that room. It's not a big room. There's a barrier there that separates you from the seats and the benches. You can go in, they'll let you take pictures, but don't climb over the railing. I remember watching him as a 17-year-old climb over the railing, sit down and say, would you take a picture of me? We took a picture. The park ranger called him. That was a whole other story. I remember picking him up from the airport after he'd gotten back from Japan. We were in a traffic jam coming back out of Nashville. He wanted to see what was going on. It was late at night, so he just got out of the car and decided to walk up to the front where the police officers were. And when he tried to get back into my car. He missed, thought I was the one ahead, and scared a mom with four kids half to death by knocking on her window. I mean, he's that kind of guy. So when I pulled up just a couple of summers ago getting ready to do a funeral into the funeral home in Bowling Green, and I saw this man in front of me drive ahead and knock over all the cones that had been set up, completely bypass the funeral procession and park in his own spot, I didn't hesitate. I just followed him. It didn't even hit me because I knew who that was, I knew how he was, and I knew just to go along with it. It didn't shock me anymore. I've taken a personal photo every year to the friendship class Sunday school party. It's become a tradition, unlike any other. I wrap it as a gift because I feel like it's a great gift. The first year I got it, Travis Goffinette was shocked and maybe a little mad. 
Last year when I gave it out, we've turned it into a snow globe. You know, you put it in there. Uh, Mark Ayers created a blanket. There's a printout of it now. Last year when it was passed out, after the seventh time, it's almost like it's just expected. Nobody gets shocked at such a great gift. Incidentally, if you want that gift, I've got extra copies. It'll look nice on your refrigerator, you dart balls, whatever you, need, whatever you need to do with it. We're not easily shocked anymore. It gets that way with serious things. We hear of warfare all around the world. People dying, bombs blowing up communities, people starving. Gets this way with the violence in our schools. This week was the sixth anniversary of Sandy Hook. All those precious children. Now, whether it's there, Columbine, Orlando, Fort Hood, fill in the blank. We, all, we almost just get to where we're desensitized. We've seen it so much. These shepherds, day after day. By the way, no, no mom and dad in Palestine grew up wanting their boy to be a shepherd one day. It wasn't an aspirational position. It was what you got put in the backyard to do. It's why when Samuel asked, where are all the other sons of Jesse? He says, I got one left, but he's out in the field. He's the shepherd. Samuel says, go get him. Here are these shepherds in this mundane, ordinary job. And can you imagine having to stay up all night watching the sheep do the same old thing who don't know anything, who are often easily wandering away, but to be a shepherd and to sit there night after night, year after year, season after season, and not become distracted in a thankless, unappreciated job. And yet God does almost everything through shepherds. Jesus is described as the great shepherd. He describes pastors as under-shepherds, working under the chief shepherd. That is, your job is to be a shepherd of the flock. It is to care for the sheep. And here, in the midst of that silence and that mundaneness and that dreariness and that boredom, the angels rip open the sky and say, Unto you this day in the city of David a Savior is born, Christ the Lord. I would have loved to have seen it, to see angels Somewhat literally climbing up and down Jacob's ladder to the glory of God. Can you imagine that sight? It'll get your focus. We often live in an age of distraction, but we also live in an age of, of dissatisfaction. Maybe the shepherds weren't all that happy with their jobs, their lot in life. We do that too. People are often wondering or searching for something that'll fill the void, something that'll give them the edge that they need, and so you'll spend hours online scrolling through profiles because you think to yourself, well, if I just find a relationship, that will give me the feeling and the security that I can't seem to find anywhere else. Or you'll take food on, and wherever it's presented to you, you will eat it, you will consume it, because that is a comfort that you can't find in your day. Or on the opposite, and you think, if I diet well enough, and if I'm physically good enough shape, that means my significant other, that means the culture will accept me. You may do that with work. If I work enough hours, and I keep going long enough, I won't have to go home, because man, I know how going home can be. Or if I just get enough medication, or worse beyond that, I move into to opioids and the epidemic, and I just shoot myself up enough, that will take away the pain. That'll give me a thrill. That'll numb me to the reality that is my life. Or I'll go into a casino and with just a roll of the dice or just a turn of the hand, give away my family's income because I just want something that'll satisfy. 
spend hours upon hours gazing at images that are not real, at sexual fantasies that do not exist, all because I'm wondering, I'm dissatisfied. And so people wander from place to place, from person to person, from event to event, from party to party, from thing to thing, not even knowing most of the time that they're lost. And so when I'm not satisfied, when I get bored, I just say, I don't love you anymore, so I'm out. Or if I'm not appreciated, I'm no longer interested in serving, so if I quit or if I get burned enough times, I can't take it anymore, so I just stop in ministry. See, we we talk about in the church that the great challenge of the church is the world, but I would submit to you that the great challenge of the church today isn't secularism, it's cynicism. How do you keep your heart from not being jaded when you feel like you've been betrayed? How do you keep your focus on the things of God when you see the hypocrisy so clearly taking place among those who name, claim the name of Christ, even among those in leadership? How do you keep your heart centered and satisfied in God? And as those shepherds are looking around wondering what might have been of their own careers, they hear those words, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is born is given and he satisfies your needs if you'll trust in him we live in an age of distraction dissatisfaction but my goodness don't we live in an age of division shepherds knew what that was like they had a faction of their own country saying we need to get out of roman oppression roman rules hopefully somebody will come make things right Maybe if we just elect the right people, maybe if we just back the right military, we can get out of the oppression and experience freedom and everything will be great. Yet that's not what Jesus does. We live in a world that is filled with enmity. That is, what is naturally going to take place is not unity, but is division. You can see that from the garden on. God tells Adam, you're going to have to work, and even though you work through the sweat of your brow, even though you do all you can, there are going to be times when you will not reap anything out of that ground because it will be hard. And so you can enjoy the pleasure of procreation, sex within marriage that God has designed for the universe, but at the end of it, it's going to be painful. She's going to have to go through childbearing. You see people getting together. You see what God has created just a moment ago. You heard harmony put together in music. But when that is disjointed, when that is put out of order, it throws everything off. And so the human race is naturally not geared to get together. We are geared to separate. We do that in our politics. We align more with the party than we do the Prince of Peace often. We do that even with the Christmas debate sometimes. I see people recently, it happens every year, but I always want to make my public service announcement when they see the the X in Christmas, they say, well, they're just taking Christ out of Christmas. Well, the X actually stands for Chi. It is the Greek word for Christmas, and if you'll open up a Greek New Testament, it is throughout the Greek New Testament, and it's actually an abbreviation that the early church would use because if they said Christ in public, they would be persecuted. We have debates, people are taking Christ out of Christmas. They put an X there. Or, better yet, when you tell someone Merry Christmas and they don't respond with Merry Christmas, you get offended and you yell at them, Merry Christmas, say it back. Because that's going to win them to Christ. 
If somebody says to you, if you say to them, Jesus is my Savior, and they don't say it back, do you get offended? Hopefully you try to love them enough to lead them to Jesus so that they'll say that too. Why not do the same with Christmas time? We're so naturally geared to divide. And yet in the midst of that division, Jesus will say there will be peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so how do you overcome it? How do you get beyond the distractions and the dissatisfactions and the divisions of the age? The only thing that you can do is do what Scripture reminds you over and over again. You've got to reset your heart every single day and ask God, help me to seek after you. I can't do it myself. You have to be the one to intercede on my behalf. You think about all of the people that God could have told that he was coming, all of the ones who he could have chosen, and yet in the midst of all that, God told the shepherds, the lowest on the totem pole. You and I will go home, we'll celebrate in our homes the very one who had no home, no place to lay his head. Augustine puts it this way, he said, Our Lord came down from life to suffer death. The bread came down to hunger. The way came down on the way to weariness. The fount came down to thirst. He so loved us that for our sake he was made man in time, although through him all times were made. He was made man who made man. He was created of a mother whom he created. He was carried by hands that he formed. He cried in the manger in wordless infancy. He, the word, without whom all human eloquence is mute in the middle of this horrific world that is filled with betrayal and violence and bloodshed and warfare and strife, sitting there in a lowly cattle trough is the Prince of Peace. And the whole reason he came was to make you right with God. Because when you can't get to him, he gets to you. And he meets you where you are. And if you would ever let these pages soak in your heart, and if you would ever hear the word of God for what it is, you would never be the same. So in a world that says, find yourself wandering through life's journey, Jesus says, die to self. And here's the thing, if you die to self, you will find yourself in Christ, the hope of glory. And trying to remember the Christmas story, may we remember the story above all the stories that God came to us wonder of it all hey guys thanks so much for listening to the broadcast if you found it helpful please consider sharing it with your family and friends for more information check us out online at barryefields.com